Man, it's so good to be here this morning. Uh, thank you for allowing us to, to be a part of today. Uh, like Doug said, my name is Danny. I'm married to Melissa, and we have three boys, Trey, who's 16, uh, Nolan, who's 7, and a little two-year-old boy that is assumedly burning down our neighborhood right now named Beckett, and uh, he is the linebacker, the spark plug in our family. Um, like Doug said, I'm here uh, with Melissa. Yesterday was our 10th year. Ten whole years uh, we've been married, and God has been good and faithful. And I'm a better man because of who God has blessed me with. And uh, it's so good to see you today. Um, I was thinking um, of the first time Doug and I met seven-plus years ago, camp in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, Doug was flying out Friday morning, and so I, I got in my Jeep with Doug, and there was also a dude that got in the back seat with us. And from the moment we hit the highway, Route 75, headed toward the Dayton International Airport, uh, man, God knit Doug and I's hearts together. And uh, that poor dude that sat in the back, I don't remember his name. Um, God love him. He was good at whatever he did at camp that week. But um, I like to think that Doug and myself are very similar. We're close to the same age. Um, we... We both sing. We're big fans of Urban Meyer and Ohio State. Um, and so, so Doug and I, I like to think that we're very similar. But it reminds me of the illustration that Larry the Cable Guy said, that he dated a girl, and she was identical to Michelle Pfeiffer, except she was shorter and her face was a lot different. And so when I look at Doug and look at his talents, his abilities, his preaching style, his singing style, his chiseled frame now that he's working out, Yada, yada. Other than that, we're pretty much the same person. And uh, so it is it is a blessing to be here. I've listened to the last few messages that um, Loveless brought and that Blake brought. And, of course, Doug has been preaching. And so I encourage you this morning to set a very, very low bar um, as we begin the, the message today. This message is stuck in between a series that Doug just started on friendship. And let me give legitimacy and support to the series because as Doug is speaking on, preaching on what it looks like to be a true friend, Doug has modeled that in my life. And uh, Doug is one of those guys that we can go weeks without speaking, but God has used this dude to impact and touch my life and my ministry and my family's life in a special way. So as I've thought on this specific message for this specific season, for this specific church, God continued to bring me to the message title, Run. You say, Danny, why in the world run? Seriously. I realize you're from Columbus, Ohio. In, in, in Fort Worth, we have COVID that's happening right now. We have a pandemic. We have race relations in our nation that are unheard of, things that are happening we have an election year, an election cycle that has more hatred and vitriol and dissension and turmoil than ever before. But I ask you today for just a few moments, bear with me. Regardless, because regardless of where you are, regardless of where we are as a nation, I believe with all my heart that Jesus has hope and help right where we are today. So in order to finish the message right, we must start right. If you look in your Bibles in Psalm chapter 119, Psalm chapter 119, which is squarely in the middle of your Bible, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture here that will illustrate for us where we must begin. Psalm chapter 119, 
And we'll begin in verse 97. This is David saying, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. For they're ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And then verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There are 176 verses in the 119th chapter of Psalm. And 173 of the 176 verses speak to God's word. Charles Spurgeon said a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone that isn't. And if we understand the impact, if we understand that that this book is the compass, this book is the standard, this is where we begin. So church, this morning I ask you, how much time in this season of life have you spent in this book? How much time have you been digging into the text so that the text gets into you? Now, if you look in your your Bibles this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, we'll dive into the theme of the message this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. To give context, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to the church, the Christians in Jerusalem. Because the church in Jerusalem is failing. It's struggling. There are issues that seem overwhelming. And as I think of where we are as a nation and where we are as a world and specifically where we are as a church with a capital C, I pray we understand today the relevance of this passage for us today. So let's read from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. There are four very simple things that I want to convey that I want to share this morning. Number one, the beginning of verse one, we see the importance to recall. So often in in running the race for Christ and being what we should be, we need to understand that we are not the first people that have ever faced trials and heartache and issues. So for us to understand to run in the present and to run in the potential, let's just for a moment look in the chapter before for those that have run in the past. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, chapter 11 is is known as kind of the, the chapter of faith. All of the heroes of the faith that have gone before us. 
And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the, the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life. And in this passage of Scripture, we have illustration after illustration of regardless of what we're facing today, Jesus has been faithful in days gone by. The heroes of the faith remind us of God's goodness and faithfulness. So although today's trials loom heavy and loom large, Christians, the church, have weathered storms in their, in their day also. I think of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9, that goes in the face, that flies in the face of modern culture. Because we look at today and say, Danny, how can God do something great in the midst of COVID? How can God do something great when I'm, I'm stuck at home? How can God do something great when, man, I am so bound with fear and anticipation of the upcoming election? And what will 2021 look like? Isaiah chapter 55, 9 says, Jesus speaking to us says, my ways are higher than your ways. For me personally, as I look back at, at, at my life, the faithfulness of Jesus has been so evident and so real. If you could see my life just over 13 years ago, I walked down the steps of the Franklin County Courthouse in Columbus, Ohio, after just going through a heartbreaking divorce. And I said out loud, Jesus, you'll never use me again. If you fast forward through 13 years, you will see God's power and the long reach of Jesus to pull me out of the pit to redeem and restore my life. As we look through scripture, we see that Daniel was saved not from the den of lions, but in the den of lions. Joseph was not saved from the Egyptians, but in Egypt. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not saved from the fire, but through the fire. The Israelites were saved not from the Red Sea as Pharaoh had them pushed against it, but through the Red Sea. But church, how easy it is, regardless of how faithful Jesus has been to us and all the illustrations that we have in his word, how easy it is for us to forget that Jesus will show up. So number one, we, we recall. Number two, the Bible says that we must remove. In order to run, there are some things that we have to get rid of. Therefore, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. In order to run well, there are some essential things that runners must do. They practice, they rest, they rejuvenate, they, they do the right thing. Things They eat and sleep. They drink the right things. They run the right way. They run in the right direction. But as equally as the things that they do, they're things that they have to be willing to remove, to put aside out of their lives. There's some essential things that runners must give up. Church, sometimes it's important for us to understand that in order to run after Jesus and pursue him, There are some good things that may be filling up our lives to the exclusion of God's best for us. We see two things here. Number one, we see here that it's important to remove the stuff. As you look at runners, 
in 2,000 years ago and runners today, most runners run with not very much on. This is why, obviously, obviously I'm not a runner. Let's just be real. That would, that would be illegal up north. But in order to run fast, to run consistently, to run well, there are things that they've removed out of their lives. How are you running today in the race of life? Corey Tinboom said, if the devil cannot make us bad, he'll make us busy. There may be some things, some stops, some things in your life that aren't necessarily bad or evil or wicked or sinful. But are there things that are holding you back from pursuing Jesus? We live in a culture that's always doing something. We're always busy. We're always on our phone. We have TikTok, at least for a while, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, emails, news feeds, news channels that we're constantly listening to and being inundated with. In our careers, we're obsessed with promotion and doing better. We want to provide for our family. We want to be a better dad. We, we want to be a, a mom that our son and our daughter love and respect. But we get so caught up in the treadmill of life that we don't stop to say, Jesus, my life is filled with all this stuff. What is weighing me down? Church today, what is weighing you down that's keeping you from running well? What's wasting your time? Yesterday, as I was studying for... Um, the, the message, I was sitting in a coffee shop in Fort Worth with Melissa. And I found myself in the midst of, of digging into the text and in, in working on finishing some of the notes and tweaking some things. Over and over again, my phone that was in my pocket continued to buzz. And I continued to get my phone and I was getting texts, emails, Facebook messages, Instagram messages. And I found myself at points... I was, my phone wasn't even buzzing. That I got my phone out and I was reminded, hey, how's he doing? How's she doing? What's going? And I said, God, help me to understand how all of us have things in our life that weigh us down. So I went through my phone yesterday, probably took 10 minutes, and removed a ton of apps that have been weighing me down. Because in order to run well, there's stuff, there's things that we have to remove. Doug is doing a series on friendship. And just as important, as important as who you should have as a friend is equally as important who you shouldn't have as a friend. Who are you giving piggyback rides to that is hampering and slowing down your walk with Jesus, your pursuit of Jesus? Next, not only do we see the stuff needs to be removed, but now we see the sin. Unlike... The stuff that could involve good things, this is the part that, it remove, that involves removing only bad things. The things we struggle with in our flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, the Bible lists the fruit of the Spirit, what it looks like to be kind and loving, consistent, long-suffering. The verse before lists all of the areas of the flesh that we live in. Porn. Envy, gluttony, gossip, sex outside of marriage, lying, laziness. Church, what is the sin that is hampering you from pursuing Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you've been saved, but you steal every time the offering plate passes you. You've been saved, but you lust 
every time you see a girl in a bathing suit. You've been saved, but you always have to scrub your internet search so your husband or your wife or your kids or your coworkers don't see. You've been saved, but you never consider sacrificing something for someone else. You've been saved, but heaven is never on the forefront of your minds. You've been saved, but you don't humble yourself and serve others. Or maybe you've never accepted Jesus. And you're here today and you say, Danny, how can I run after Jesus? When, man, I look at my life and my life is surrounded by I'm knee deep in sin. Sin is like trying to run with shoestrings on that are untied. You can never run the race if your feet are tangled. What is it in your life today that's keeping you from pursuing a Jesus? Number three, we see in the text this morning, not only to recall and remove, but now we must run. If you look at the text, there's no but, there's no if, there's no when, until the Bible just says, let us run the race that is set before us. Runners run. Runners do the right things. I want us to understand that in order to run well, we can't do it in our own strength. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31, the Bible says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. And what that is saying is, Jesus has victory that awaits. If you read the end of the book, we win. But somebody had to prepare the horse for battle. And God chooses, for whatever reason, to use us to do his work. I ask you today, are you doing your part? Life is not a freshly paved track around a flat football field. It is not always a slight downhill run. Life is filled with valleys and heartache and battles and stresses and pain and water and hurt. Two things I want us to see in order to to run, we must run patiently. The Bible says run with endurance, run with patience the race that's set before us. Life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So easily in our walk with Jesus, over and over again in my life, I've had a firecracker mentality. That man, I hear a message or I hear a song. God speaks to my heart and man, I'm excited, I'm pumped, I'm motivated. God, I want you to use me. But give me time, and as quickly as I get excited, I go back to the old Danny. And so often we live lives, and and we want to pursue Jesus, and we sprint towards him, not realizing and understanding that Jesus has put us on this earth to run patiently. I learned this early on in our marriage. Years ago, Melissa and I started dating. Back in that day, I was more like Doug's size. I was more svelte, like marble, you know, chin, chest, all those things. Um, so Melissa was a runner. And so um, I played a lot of sports, and so that's how I stayed in shape. So we were dating, and, and Melissa said, hey, let's run one day. So, dude, I'm, I'm a beast. I'm, dude, I, let's run. How, how far do you want to run? How fast do you want to run? I'll never forget, we started running. We started out near Ohio State. She lived right near campus. And so 
She was running, I was running alongside her, and, and she's going at a very, very slow gait. I mean, just, just a very, very slow run. So I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, let, let's show this girl what you're made of. So we got to a point where there's, there's a hill, there's a grade for, I would say, three quarters of a mile, I would assume. It's just a slow, gentle grade. You stand at the bottom, it doesn't look that bad. So I'm like, here's the deal. Rambo's going to run, bro. I took off. So Melissa's running at this slow pace. I took off and running full tilt for, I would assume, a quarter mile. I'm impressed with myself at this point. I even looked, turned around, and Melissa is just like this small little blip way far off in the distance. I probably got halfway up that hill. And suddenly I started to feel things in my stomach that didn't feel like you should be feeling when you're running. We got to a point where there was a light light post along the road that I'm leaning over, dry heaving. Melissa's still not to me. She's got a long way to go. She finally gets to me. I'm just dripping in sweat. Soon after that, I veer off, unbeknownst to her, and go a different direction so that I can then literally get back to her apartment. And I fell on the steps of her apartment in the back and laid there, and I thought, like, my life was over as I'm hyperventilating. What was happening in my life? In my flesh, so often I want to run. But the Bible doesn't say that we are to sprint. The Bible says that we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're called to run one step at a time, not only patiently, but personally. The Bible says that we are to run the race that is in front of us. Are you here today? Are you exhausted? Because you've been trying to run a race that maybe somebody else set for you. You're trying to run a race that you've seen somebody else run well. But until we understand that, man, to run faithfully and patiently, we must run personally. When was the last time that you experienced Jesus rocking your world? Today in church, are you experiencing routine? Or when was the last time that you experienced revival? Temple, I encourage you today. God did not call you to be gateway, village, watermark. Jesus called Temple Baptist Church to be Temple Baptist Church. Are you staying in your lane? Are you being faithful where God has placed you? When was the last time that you shed tears? You got on your knees and you wept for a city that surrounds you that is lost and dying and going to a real hell. And so often the church of the living God really doesn't care because we're so consumed with what's in front of us. Are you serving? Are you changing? Are you growing in your walk with Jesus? There are so many powerful preachers in the Metroplex. A lot of guys that I've listened to for years. You have Young and Chandler, Wagner, Evans, Morris. But of all those names, I dare say that the one who's made the most impact in our part of the state sits in front of me today. For the last seven years, Doug has poured into my heart, into my life has poured into the hearts and lives of of my students when I was a student pastor. 
And I can't tell you the number of times that I get on Temple's website and I will watch a sermon that Doug preaches and then forward it to my friends. I'll forward it to my pastor friends. I'll forward it to to young adults in our church. I'll forward it to other churches in our state. Because here's the deal. God has given Temple a pastor that has a passionate, consistent, burning desire to see Jesus reach the city of Fort Worth for his kingdom. And I don't say that today because Doug's sitting in front of me. If you go through my texts, my emails, you sit at the table of conversations that I've had over the last seven years. The number of people that know Temple's name and know Doug's name. But I want to tell you, church, so often it's so easy for us to forget that it's 2020. Because what I mean by that is we have a 1990 mindset. And that mindset is this. You know what? We have a dynamic pastor in Doug. Doug needs to preach better. Doug needs to reach this city. Man, we just need to get people in these doors, sitting in these chairs, and then Doug, you bring the word every week. Adrian Rogers said it's not the pastor's job to fill the pew. It's his job to fill the pulpit. Temple, I encourage you. If you and your heart and in your approach and in running the race, if you've been looking at your pastor to build and grow God's church, God, help us to understand that Jesus called us to run personally. Doug's role here is vital and important. But equally as vital and important is the role that God has called you to. The Bible says that we as a body of Christ, we are fitly framed together. And if you're not carrying your part of the load, if you're not doing what God has created you and called you to do, we will never be the church that God wants us to be. When was the last time that we fell on our knees and said, Jesus, do a great work at Temple Baptist. But Jesus, before we get there, Jesus, start with me. Are you doing your part? Church, what is your excuse for you not running the race? Maybe you're here and you say, Danny, I'm at home. Do you have a phone? Can you text? Can you email? Can you call? Can you love on your neighbors? Danny, I'm not a pastor. Here's the deal. God has called you to do things that I can't do as a pastor, that Doug can't do as a pastor. Are you running personally? Danny, I'm not equipped. As you look at this book, you see the 12 men that Jesus called. Jesus called them as he walked past. These were fishermen. These were tent makers. These were common men that simply followed Jesus and they literally changed the world. What could happen if we as the church of Jesus Christ wouldn't just look to a pastor? Wouldn't just look to a youth pastor? We didn't just look to staff. We didn't just look to school staff. But we said, Jesus How can I run and pursue you? How can I play a vital part in your kingdom? Jesus, what do you want from me? Or maybe you're like me. And for so many years of my life, I struggled with the fact that I have a past. But I remember different times in conversations with Doug, him pointing me to Psalms, to the author David. 
the man who sinned and ran and struggled and had a past a mile long. But the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Regardless of your past, your story, your sin, your lack of qualifications, my pastor often says your background doesn't define your outcome. So in this day, when when COVID is happening, I ask you, church, is COVID what stops the creator of the universe? Is race relations what stops the armies of the living God? Is a political election what causes the end of the church of Jesus Christ? Please get this. If you're not Doug Reif... God God didn't call you to be Doug Rife. If you're not Neil Childs, God didn't call you to be Neil Childs. If you're not Monica Martin, God didn't call you to be Monica Martin. What am I trying to say? Jesus has called all of us to a personal pursuit of him. And today is your life being maximized for the kingdom. How are you running today? And then the last point, one could assume that we dealt with the most powerful portion, the theme of the message, run. But the past passage hinges on this last portion. Because the Bible says that we are to run with endurance, with patience, the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. What is this passage saying? The last word, remember. Remember. Don't lose faith. Because we have a personal Savior that ran after us, that pursued us, that loved us when we were unlovable. I recently preached a series of messages from 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, it's the story of the Syrian army descending upon the prophet of God and his servant. Henry G. Campbell said this was an army upwards of 50,000 men that had come to capture and kill the prophet of God. The servant walks out in the morning and is in shock, is in panic to see an army of 50,000 men surrounding Dothan, where they live, surrounding their little house, their abode. He goes and, and, and awakes the prophet of God. And the prophet of God in the scripture almost seems as If he walks out with coffee in hand, looks across the veranda, sees the army, and says to his servant, don't fear. There's more with us than are with them. There are more good guys than there are bad guys. I can't imagine the the, the servant's question wondering, like, dude, he's lost his flipping mind. What is happening right now? We then see that that Elisha prays that Jesus would open the spiritual eyes of the servant. God answers his prayer. And the servant then sees that the 
army of Syria is surrounded by the angels of the Lord that overwhelm the puny Syrian army of 50,000. We see in God's word that years ago when Satan fell, Satan deceived one-third of the angels. I'm not good at math. But if Satan has one-third of the angels, that means that God has surrounded us as his children with two-thirds of the angels of the living God that are with us today. What if every day we did as Psalm said in Psalm, and David said in Psalm chapter 121, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. Psalm 139.5 is my favorite verse of scripture and it says, you've hedged me behind and before. Simply means, God, Jesus, you're in front of me, you're behind me. As I run. But then there, God knew there would be people like Danny Wisner. It doesn't just stop there. It goes on to say, you've hedged me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. You're with me. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says that there's never been a time that Jesus hasn't known you or set his affection upon you when you wandered from him. I was listening to a sermon by Todd Wagner. He shared the illustration of a message he heard, and the pastor said, Satan knows our name, but calls us by our sin. Years ago, for a short period of time, I went to Christian school. I was homeschooled all my life. My family traveled and sang. Um, and so went to Christian school to play sports for a very brief period of time. Very, very legalistic Christian school. And so one of the things that, that they did to encourage and bless their students was they made a plaque that hung above your desk that was your greatest character weakness. Mine was Mr. E, Mr. Excuse. I was always a little dude. I was always very insecure and shy and quiet. So any time that I did something wrong, or any time you, you called me out on it, I always had a reason why it wasn't my fault. Always. Always had a reason why it was my brother. Oh, my gosh. Dude, if you met it, my brother, if you met him, you would understand. Or it was my sister's. It was always, it wasn't my fault. It was an accident. How much is that like Satan? That for all of us, Satan... Today, you walked in feeling the shame of being called by your sin. What a different picture from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, where the Bible says that God calls us by name. Satan knows our name, but calls us by our sin. Jesus knows our sin, but he calls us by name. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, that my righteousness is in my flesh or it's filthy rags. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that my weakness is made perfect by his strength. In God's economy, the finish line never moves or changes. Church, his expectation for you will never alter. Pursue him. Pursue truth. Love. Run. Be faithful. Be humble. Pursue his word. 
And Jesus does not expect you to do what he has already done. Maybe some of you are exhausted because you're trying to run a race that somebody else set for you or you're trying to run a race that you saw somebody else run. Today I want to ask you, what is the race that Jesus called you to run? Jesus didn't call us to be successful. He called us to be faithful. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 says, be faithful unto death. Before I close today, I want to read for you words that were penned by an African pastor that was asked to renounce his faith. If he didn't renounce his faith, when he awoke the next morning, he would be killed. And these are the words that he penned the night before. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back down, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, applause, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. Lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way rough. My companions few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. A man that ran, knowing that heaven awaited. If it never gets better, If COVID never goes away, if the pandemic constantly is morphing into something new, if the election doesn't go the way that you believe it should go, if the tension in our country doesn't cease, will you do what David said in Psalm chapter 119 verse 55 that says, I will remember your name in the night. In closing, believer, do you need to return to Jesus? Are you not running for him today because maybe you're not very hungry for Jesus? Erwin Lutzer said many of us are not thirsty for Jesus because we've quenched our thirst at other fountains. Believer, are you tired today? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all that you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then unbeliever.
if you don't know Jesus today, do you need to turn to Jesus? Maybe you're watching online. Or maybe you sit in this pew today, sit in these chairs today. The same sun that hardens the clay is the same sun that melts the snow. Maybe you've sat under the preaching of a pastor that has consistently pursued the gospel. You know what this book says. But you've taken you sitting in a seat, following a set of religious rules, is checking off the box in knowing Jesus. It's today the day that you need to remember that there is a difference between those that proclaim the name of Jesus and those who don't. Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, When we come to Jesus, old things pass away, all things become new. What does your life look like today? Johnny Hunt said, if there's no change, there's no Christ. Church, today I ask you, believer, if you know Jesus, are you running well? If you aren't, God can give help and hope today. Unbeliever, if you can't run the race for Christ because you don't know Jesus, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today can be the day you call to him and Jesus can change and save your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as the band comes up. Jesus, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for Hebrews chapter 12. That reminds us today that with you and in you and because of you, we can run and we can run well. Jesus, we love you today. God, I pray that we will be a people that pursue you regardless if we're in Columbus, regardless if we're in the Metroplex, regardless if we're in Fort Worth. Specifically today, for those that can hear my voice, that sit here or that are listening, Jesus, may we run after you. In a fresh way. Jesus we love you in your precious name.